Today's reading is Deuteronomy, chapter 32, page 210. Listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. They are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain to you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted inheritance. In a desert land he found him, in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions. The Lord alone led him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the heights of the land and fed him with the fruit of the fields. He nourished him with honey from the rock and with oil from the flinty crag, with curds and milk from the herd and flock, and with fattened lambs and goats, with choice rams of Bashan and the finest grains of wheat. You drank the foaming blood of the grape. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. Filled with food, they became heavy and sleek. They abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock, their savior. They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to false gods, which are not God, gods they had not known, gods that recently appeared, gods your ancestor did not fear. You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and rejected them because he was angered by his sons and daughters. I will hide my face from them, he said, and see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. They made me jealous by what is no God and angered me with their worthless idols. I will make them envious by those who are not a people. I will make them angry by a nation that has no understanding. For a fire will be kindled by my wrath, one that burns down to the realm of the dead below. It will devour the earth and its harvests and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. Now we move on to verse 36. 
The Lord will vindicate his people and relent concerning his servants. When he sees their strength is gone and no one is left, slave or free. He will say, now where are their gods, the rock they took refuge in, the gods who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings? Let them rise up to help you. Let them give you shelter. See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal, and no one can deliver out of my hand. I lift my hand to heaven and solemnly swear, as surely as I live forever, when I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand grasps it in judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood while my sword devours flesh, the blood of the slain and the captives, the heads of the enemy leaders. Rejoice, you nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land and people. Thanks, Michelle, very much indeed. It's great to see you here. My name is Jeremy, and I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church. And if it's your first time here, a special welcome. Do please uh, stick around afterwards and do ask questions too. Uh, we've got uh, about 10 minutes later on in the service, and it's one of those chances that you have to ask me questions and to put me on the spot. Uh, not something to be, uh, not, not, not an opportunity to be wasted. So uh, please do use your smartphones, point them at that QR code, which you'll find in the service sheet. And then you can submit a question. Or uh, if you're not the kind of person that finds it easy to come up with questions, then you can vote for a question that's already there. Maybe someone's asked the kind of question that you were thinking of yourself. Uh, in which case, you can vote for it. And it comes to the top of the list. Great. Well, we're going to be looking at that part of Deuteronomy in the last of our series, uh, which we've called Hear and Live. Uh, but before any of that, we're going to ask for God's help. And if you're a praying person, I'd love you to join me in prayer. Let's pray. Some of these words again. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does, who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Father God, I pray that together this afternoon you would show us again your perfection, your justice, your faithfulness, your uprightness. And so we would want to proclaim your name and, and praise your goodness and, and find you to be the rock in our, in our lives. Please help us find stability and solidity in you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, in 2016, I went out and bought this album. I don't know about you. Um, it's uh, maybe a sort of middle-aged man thing. But I went out to buy uh, the album called Black Star by David Bowie. Anyone else buy that album? It's just me. Yeah, Michael. Good album. Um, it's uh, David Bowie's um, 26th studio album. Uh, I haven't got all of his albums by any means. Uh, but this one was different. I don't know if you know why. 2016, David Bowie. It was released 
two days before he died of liver cancer. Two days before he dies. And it's not easy to listen to. Um, it's quite harrowing, if you know the video. It's quite dark. And uh, one reviewer said, I think in NME, it's a ricochet of textural eccentricity and pictorial shrapnel. I don't, I don't quite know what that means, actually, to be honest, but it seems to sort of sum it up quite well. It was an incredible end to his career. And I say that because in Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses is sort of releasing a song um, just before he dies. That's what he's doing. It's back in 1300 BC. And God's people are next to the Jordan River. They're, they're listening to, to, to Moses. They've been listening to him for, for quite some time. The whole of the book of Deuteronomy really is a series of sermons that Moses preaches to them as they're dipping their toes into the Jordan uh, on what's called the plains of Moab. They're just about to go across into the land that God's promised them for many, many years. They're about to start on that big adventure. But this final speech is different. It's different. Because in just two chapters' time, in chapters 34, Moses is going to hand over to Joshua and he's going to walk up a mountain and he's going to be dead. And that's going to bring to a close these first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch, this sort of first big section of what God wants to say to his people. And so chapter 32 really are lyrics to a song. Lyrics to a song. And it's not easy to listen to, actually. Um, but we know how it's meant to leave us feeling. Okay, it's, it's less sort of pictorial shrapnel, and it's more um, like we're standing in the rain. Okay, chapter 32. Have a look down at that. Chapter 32, verse 1. It's down there on page 210. If you've got one of these red Bibles in front of you. Um, page 210. This is what Moses says. Listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. And the, the imagery of verse 2 is probably a bit lost on us because it's basically rained for the last three weeks. Um, but if you, if you live in a desert, then it's, it's very different. This image isn't lost on people who live in a, in a dry land. When Dawn and I were uh, first married, we spent three months in Barberton, which is right up in the mountains in South Africa, a beautiful, beautiful mountain mining town. And we arrived in the middle of a drought. And the host that we were staying with went every day to look at the dam, as they called it, which we, we would call the reservoir. And they looked at the levels on the reservoir. They came back every day and reported on how the levels were looking. And that beautiful, you know, this sort of red mud that you get in, in that part of Africa that goes all the way down the east side of that continent. It was sort of dry and cracked and everything was covered in dust. Um, and, and then one day, the heavens just opened. And our, and our host walked out into the back garden and just stood in the rain. It's fantastic, that amazing smell, you know, when, when it hasn't rained for a long time. And, the, and it just poured down. And they were just sort of drinking in the rain. And that's what it feels like uh, to listen to Deuteronomy 32. This song, says Moses, will revive your soul like water on a parched land. It will bring refreshing to you. And, and all of us need that refreshment in our, in our relationship with God, I take it. 
Um, all of us have times in our lives when, when it all feels very sort of secondhand and very remote, do you know what I mean? Um, so very, very dry, very distant, like God's hardly there, like everything's covered in, in cling film. You can't really access it. All of us have those kind of times in our Christian lives. Uh, you might be in the middle of that at the moment. And, and Moses is saying, as we come to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, that, the, that as, you, as you take into account the whole of the book, chapters 1 to 3, about God's past grace to his people, and then um, so this call to love God, to really love him in, in chapter 6, and then this call to obedience and sort of whole-of-life worship, chapters 10 and 11, and then chapters 12 to 26. And then as you listen to his song, written just before he dies in chapter 32, you'll find refreshment for your soul. You can drink it in. That's what he says after, it's like, it's like the heavens opening after a long time of drought. And it'll refresh you. And that's the point of Moses' song. And we're going to look at it in, in just three sections, three sort of verses of, of, his, of his song that he's releasing to God's people. And uh, we could call the first one this. It's all about the character of God, character of God in verses one to four. Um, and Moses is thinking about the God that he loves. He's thinking about, about that God. Verse three, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Um, and in those days, your, um, your name isn't a, a, a sort of um, a brand or a, a sort of handle on Instagram. Uh, it describes the, a quality that you have. It's there to describe you. That's why names are kept and so chosen, uh, chosen so carefully in the Old Testament. Um, my name's um, Jeremy. It's a shortened form of Jeremiah. Uh, you're not allowed to shorten it any further to, to Jezza. Uh, just, I just want to put that out there. Jeremy means um, the Lord will lift up. And so if you, um, if you proclaim the name Jeremy, then you would talk about how I'm going to be uplifted. I say, you know, that, that I may be a bit low at the moment, but God's going to lift me up. That's what you're saying about me. You're proclaiming the name Jeremy. That's what you're saying about me. Um... So when Moses says that he's going to proclaim the name of the Lord um, in verse 3, um, he's, he's going to educate the heavens and the earth. He's going to tell the whole of creation what God's like. He's going to fill them in on, on God's character. Just like he did back in Exodus 34. You remember that famous bit, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, the slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, Maintaining love to thousands, the, uh, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That is God's character. That's what he's like. He's, he's the one that Moses is proclaiming. He's quite, he's quite excited about who God is. And so this rain sort of falls down in verse 4, the, the, the news of God's character. He is the rock. Now, do you know that Moses invented that? He's the first person in the Bible to call God the rock, by no means the last. Um, he's the rock. And you just think of all of Moses' life experiences. I mean, he's 120 years old. He's lived a bit, um, has old Moses. And uh, growing up in an Egyptian court, remember that? Uh, all of that sort of 
affluence and, and luxury, all of those servants and all of that provision, all of that amazing food. He's been through that experience. Um, and then um, exiled and working as a shepherd in Midian. Can you imagine the emotion of that? And um, the isolation, uh, the rootlessness, just going, going with the sheep wherever they could find some, some pasture. Can you imagine all, all of the emotions that go along with that? He's, he's sort of lived the extremes. You know, he's, he's, he's sort of had quite an experience of life. Um, a political leader in the Exodus. Can you imagine the pressure and the self-doubt um, that he went through during that time as he led God's people out of Egypt? By no means straightforward. It's difficult to, to be at the top, isn't it? Poverty, solitude, loneliness, desperation, failure. He, he's not able to go to the promised land because he can't even keep the laws that he's taught God's people to obey. See? let himself down in, in, that, in that regard. But how does he describe God at the end? What does he say about God? He's the rock. Through all those experiences, God was his rock. He's, his works are perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. This is God's character. Moses found that to be true for more than a century. And perhaps you know that Facebook keeps a list of your characteristics. Did you know that? Um, Facebook has quite a, a lot of um, tags that it, it puts alongside your name, and you can download them. Um, and that's what I did, actually, just this week. Um, I thought it'd be interesting to see what characteristics Facebook associates with me. There are something like 12 different tags associated with coffee. Fair enough. I'll, I'll own that. Um, and... Um, Lotus Cars, you see is up there. I've, that's just an excerpt I put out there. Lotus Cars, my brother-in-law works for Lotus Cars. That's the reason for that. Um, they, they, they sort of estimate where you are politically. Uh, they estimate how much money you've got. Uh, it's quite an, interesting, quite an interesting list. I mean, some things it gets right. And then some things I don't think they have got right. I mean, I say that myself. Um, so you can see from the screenshot, you can't always trust these algorithms. At the bottom it says, nerd. Nerd? And this from Mark Zuckerberg. I don't think that's entirely fair. And um, it's just one of the characteristics that were associated with my identity. But Moses is sort of writing a list of God's characteristics. And um, that's the thing. God's characteristics. Um, greatness. Dependability. Perfection. These things you can't find in the world. Are they? You're not going to find these anywhere else. Not in the way that you can rely on them. Not in the way that you... you it's so predictable. You, you know that God's going to be like this. Greatness, dependability, perfection, justice, faithfulness, uprightness. And his people are to drink in those characteristics like rain and it'll refresh them. And as the, particularly as they head into the, the promised land, it's this wild west of different deities... But they're going to come across, they've been warned all about that. Um, Baal and, and Chemosh and Astarte and Milcom and Asherah. These sort of oppressive gods and you've got to serve them all and you've got to try and play them off against each other so they don't get upset with you. And then uh, they're sort of gods of, of uh, you know, fertility and crops and house and, and career. Um, you, you don't want to make one of them angry. And they're, they're going to 
head off into this crazy sort of maelstrom of different gods who people are going to tell them to serve. And as they go into the promised land, they're to drink in the character of God. They're to be reminded of who he is until they become the people that they're meant to be. You see, are people who'd be God's very own who are going to sort of advertise his character like one of those giant billboards. They're going to show a watching world what he's like. Yeah? Dependable, reliable, the rock. Through um, self-doubt and poverty, solitude, loneliness, desperation, failure, you can trust him. Drink that in. It will refresh you. It will refresh you. Although it might also leave you with a sense that you haven't always loved God as he deserves. And that's the second thing that this psalm contains, um, a witness against God's people. God appears as a witness against his people. I don't know whether you've ever appeared as a witness in a court of law. Uh, when I was a student, I was, uh, I was a passenger in a car crash, and uh, I was called up as a witness. As it happens, I forgot to go to court. And I was in a, um, in a lecture of 200 people just down at Queen Mary's. Um, 200 people. And I was asleep uh, during the lecture. I'd taken my shoes off and I was asleep on my notes. I think I just started to dribble slightly. And um, they stopped the lecture. Someone came in, stopped the lecture and said, if there's a Jeremy Hobson here, he's supposed to be in court. And, and the whole lecture stopped for five minutes while I got my shoes on and woke up and, um, and set off um, to the law court. But here God is a witness against his people. Appears as a character witness against his people. As one day he may appear as a character witness against us. But here he's the witness and the people are the defendants. In fact, have a look at um, 31 verse 19. Just across the column on page 210, right at the top. Um, what, what, is this, what is this song about? What is at its heart? Verse 19. Um, it's a witness statement against them. That's what the song is. And um, well, have a look down at verse 26. What is the book of Deuteronomy? Uh, verse 26. Take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, there it will remain as a witness against you. It's a witness against you. That's the way the law works. It, it, sort of, it sets the bar against which we are aware that we've failed. Um, when we've heard the character witness against us, um, then we realize our, our guilt. Now, it, that is a refreshing thing in a way. Um, we're, we're to drink in God's word, and, and, it, and it's going to revive us when we're feeling dry in our relationship with God. But that, but that will happen only when we're willing to name the truth about our own characters. That's the thing, when we've heard this character witness against us. And I, I, I know that it seems sort of psychologically unhealthy. Dawn uh, used to have a friend called Marianne who hated the idea that Dawn considered herself a sinner. And she thought it was desperately unhealthy for Dawn to think of herself that way. But it's refreshingly honest. 
That's how it, it's, it's, good, it's good to acknowledge the truth about yourself. In a court of law, there's no freedom in pretense. You know, there's no point in pretending that you're not guilty when, when, when all the evidence is against you. There's a freedom in admitting that you're guilty. And this is what the witness statement says. Have a look at verse 5. God talking about his people. They are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are a warped and a crooked generation. It's a terrible thing to say. I mean, verse 6, God made them. He's their creator. Verses 7 to 9, he, he chose them. Verses 10 to 13, he's cared for them. Three pictures of his care in verses 12 to 13. Verse 10, he, like guarding the apple of his eye. Can you see that? Um, he shielded him and cared for him. Bottom of page 210. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. Do you know what that means? It means the pupil of your eye. Uh, we used to take Justin uh, down to Moorfields and he used to look, he had a, a, an, an eye disease, which is better now. They had a 10,000 pound machine that looked at the pupil of his eye. And if, if, that's, if that's damaged, then you protect it. Um, God protects his people like that. Um, or a hovering eagle. Can you see that in verse 10? Do you know how eagles teach their chicks to fly? And they, they, they chuck them out of the nest. Um, and then they, when they've sort of reached terminal velocity, they sort of come down underneath them and pick them up again. They sort of catch them on their wings, take them back to the nest, um, and then try the same thing again until they've got the hang of it. And, and God has swooped down to sort of rescue his people like they're chicks that have fallen from the nest. Uh, and then verse 13, it's an extraordinary picture. Honey, honey from the rock. It's the most unlikely place to find honey, isn't it? Coming out of a rock, don't you think? Um, but um, it's the sweetness of God coming from his dependability. Honey from the rock. He made you, he chose you, he cared for you. And yet, verse 15, this is God's people. He uses sort of a nickname for them, Jeshurun. Verse 15, have a look at that. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked, filled with food. They became heavy and sleek. They abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock, their savior. Their savior. Verse 16, they made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him. With their detestable idols, they sacrificed to false gods which are not God. Gods they had not known. Gods that recently appeared. Gods your ancestors did not fear. You deserted the rock who fathered you. Extraordinary picture, isn't it? To have a rock as your parent. You know, drink in that rain this afternoon and let it refresh you. There's refreshment in honesty. We sing the first stanza of Moses's song a lot more than we sing the second um, don't we so many songs based on verse 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 32 so few based on verse 5 but when the witness stands up in court we say actually it's true you know I, I spend large amounts of my time as I imagine you do distracted by the trivial in verse 28 it just makes no sense you know, I, I, don't, I don't always have a lot of discernment. Verse 29, 
Wisdom. Wisdom is the connection of actions with consequences. But so often in my life, the short term triumphs over the long term again and again. And, and the law stands as a witness against me. If only I thought, you know, if I, how I could use my life better. And as I stand in court, I'm guilty. If I can put it like this, I'm as guilty as hell. And you think that would be the end of it. You think um, the only refreshment is that the truth about my life is out there. And you think, is there any, is there any hope? And the answer comes in the third section of, of, God's, of Moses' song. And it says, it says that there is grace in the end. Grace in the end. Um, I, I've had this book on my bookshelf um, for the last six weeks. It's just been sitting there. I forgot it was about Deuteronomy, actually, to be honest, uh, because of the title, Grace, Grace in the End. You think Deuteronomy is all about laws and all about failure and all about uh, the temple and about Moses and all about living in the land and, and uh, a different sort of traditions and ceremonies. There's only really this week that I realized that's the most brilliant title. I wish I thought of it myself. Grace in the end. Grace in the end. Look at verse 36, just over the page. As the book of Deuteronomy starts to come to an end, verse 36, the Lord will vindicate. That means to, to clear someone of blame or suspicion. The Lord will vindicate his people and relent concerning his servants. When he sees their strength is gone and no one is left, slave or free. When God, when God sees that your strength has gone, when we've fallen to our knees, there is grace in the end. And what does it say in verse 39? At the end of that verse, no one can deliver us out of God's hand. Do you remember what Jesus says? In John's Gospel, verse 10, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. That's what Jesus says. Let that refresh you. Because the, the first five books of the Bible just leave so many questions unanswered that echo down through the history of God's people all the way through the Old Testament. Um, Joshua and all the way through the history books and the exile and then into the prophets. Uh, when is this serpent crusher from Genesis 3 going to come, if you know that part of the Bible? Um, when will the promises to Abraham come true in, in Genesis 12 to 15? How can a holy God genuinely live with his people? When are God's people's hearts ever going to be radically changed, as God promises that he will? But grace comes in the end. You know, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy more than any other book of the Bible, time and time again. It's his favorite book. Just let me show you very briefly this interaction from Mark chapter 10, when a man comes up to Jesus and has a discussion about Deuteronomy, and the, the references to Deuteronomy are in the red. Let me read just from verse 32. This is Jesus in the book of Mark. He's asked him, what is the most important commandment? Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 35. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings 
and sacrifices. That's based on Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You see? Deuteronomy has brought him close to the kingdom of God. The book of Deuteronomy brings you to Jesus. He, he's the high point of Deuteronomy. If you, if you haven't realized that, if you're interested in this person, Jesus, but you don't yet know him, then sign up for Christianity Explored. We've got a course starting in January that will introduce you to the person of Jesus. There is grace in the end. The book of Deuteronomy leads you to Jesus as, 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 you, as you choose life, as you realize how Jesus became a curse for you. If, if you hear Jesus say, if you love me, obey my commands. You know, Jesus doesn't shame us. He tells us the truth about ourselves until our strength has gone. And then he says, you're not far from the kingdom. Trust in me. I'll transform your heart and no one will be able to snatch you out of my hand. Grace in the end, not, not in the promised land, but a home in the new creation. That's what we're promised. You know, all of us need refreshment in our relationship with God. Now, there are times where it all feels very secondhand, very remote, very distant, very hardly there. It feels like everything's covered in cling film. Um, I know what that feels like. Perhaps you've forgotten your creator and you've got confused about who you are. Uh, maybe you've settled down with your sin and, and God, in the words of Deuteronomy, needs to wound you so that he can heal you. Maybe you've forgotten your witness and you've got no plans at all to invite others in to the kingdom. God's project is to gather a people who will be his very own, who will advertise his character, who will show the world what he's like calling them to covenant faithfulness under the new covenant that Jesus establishes in his blood. And so we find the kind of refreshment in Jesus that relies on, on grace. I'm, I'm refreshed because whatever I've done, I'm showing kindness and forgiveness and acceptance. And the kind of refreshment that brings holiness. You know, I'm, I'm changed bit by bit to have a heart that wants to conform to God's heart. And the kind of refreshment that, that powers our mission as we reach out to a lost world this Christmas. Grace in the end. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd refresh us with your words. Please show us your character. Point us to your son. Thank you that he will lose none of those that you've given to him, that we're secure in the grace that he shows. And so I pray, Father, that we would enjoy the God that you are, the kingdom that your son brings. And so we'd find deep refreshment in you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.